Hello, this is Kenny Williamson, and welcome back to another episode of McKill's Deck Chronicles. In today's episode, we are going to be listening to another part of Dr. Kent Hovid's science seminar. This particular seminar is on dinosaurs and the Bible. This is one of my favorite seminars. It's a two-part deal here. I've had to cut it in half due to time constraints, but it is a two-part series And he discusses dinosaurs, um, all about them, and dinosaurs in the Bible. Um, It's one of my favorite ones because I really like cryptozoology. And uh, dinosaurs, when I was growing up, dinosaurs and dinosaur bones was a really big hang-up for me. Is one of the reasons it took so long for me to get saved. And that's a story all in itself right there. Probably not a very interesting one, but... Um, that kind of stuff can affect people's salvation. It can keep people away from the Bible and not paying attention. You know, they start believing in evolution, and the next thing you know, their life's done, and they're in hell. So um, take a listen and let me know what you think. So without further ado, here we go. I like dinosaurs. Our phone number is 479-DINO. Our website is Dr. Dino. Dinosaur Adventureland's phone number is 478 Dino 3466 for you alphabetically challenged folks. We like dinosaurs. We have thousands and thousands of visitors come. We've had probably close to a thousand people get saved coming through our dinosaur adventure land. Everything we do there has a science lesson and a spiritual lesson. We have a blast using dinosaurs for the glory of God. But you know, for the last 200 years, Christians have been extremely confused about where dinosaurs fit into the Bible. I heard a lady last night, I was talking to a witness to a lady at the hotel. She said, well, I got a friend that told me dinosaurs never existed. One guy told me, he said, well, the devil put those bones in the ground to fool us. Well, you're, you're going to look like a real idiot when talking to anybody with normal intelligence when you say something like that, okay? Yes, dinosaurs lived. What's happened, Christians have compromised the clear teaching of the Bible in order to accommodate the dinosaurs. That's why they have the gap theory or the day-age theory or progressive creation or theistic evolution. There's no need to do that. I'm going to give you the biblical view of dinosaurs here this morning. Now, this guy in National Pornographic, a Geographic, says, no human being has ever seen a live dinosaur. Now, just hold on a minute. Does he know that or does he think that? He thinks that. There is no possible way he could know something like that unless he talked to everybody that ever lived. Do you think he talked to Adam and Eve before he wrote that? Did he talk to you before he wrote that? No, okay. That's just not something you can know. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It says, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Well, if he made everything in six days, then Adam must have seen dinosaurs. There's just no two ways about it. Yesterday, we talked about seminar part two, what the Garden of Eden was like. It says, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. We talked about how God originally created the world with a canopy of water overhead, which all fell down at the time of the flood. It's gone now. And there was most of the water under the crust of the earth, which all came shooting to the surface when the fountains of the deep broke open. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's. He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Psalm 136, he stretched out the earth above the waters. I don't know why Christians can read that and read right over it and not see what it's saying. The water that's now in the ocean used to be in the crust of the earth, but it all came shooting out when the fountains of the deep broke open. We cover much more on that on video number six. What caused the flood in the days of Noah? We call it the Hoven theory, so nobody else will get blamed for it. But from the creation 6,000 years ago up until the flood, 
4,400 years ago, the world was very different. During that time frame, the Bible says the people lived over 900 years. They really, honestly did. Lived to be 900 plus. It's interesting, many ancient cultures have a legend about what they called the Golden Age. The Babylonians, the Sumerians, the Egyptians all talked about a time when man used to live to, near, to be nearly a thousand. Well, that's because it was really true. They really did live to be almost a thousand. And yesterday we covered how reptiles grow all their life. Reptiles never stop growing. So dinosaurs were big lizards that lived with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They did not live millions of years ago. So the obvious question would be, well, did Noah take dinosaurs on the ark? They asked Billy Graham, were there dinosaurs on Noah's ark? Billy Graham said, nope, Noah's ark did not include dinosaurs because they were extinct by the time man got here. Oh, and I praise God for all the good Billy Graham has done, but he is dead wrong about that one. Okay? Dinosaurs on the ark? Well, I hope he kept the woodpeckers in a steel cage of some kind. That'll be important later. People say, dinosaurs on the ark. Now, Hoven, they're kind of big, aren't they? Yeah? The big ones were big, but the little ones were little. <laughs> See, Noah was 600 years old when he built that boat, okay? He's probably smart enough to figure out, you don't have to bring the biggest ones you can find, okay? You bring two babies. Just be sure to get a pink one and a blue one. That'll be important later, okay? <laughs> there are all kinds of reasons for bringing babies on the ark, okay? You bring babies because they're smaller. Well, duh. You know, the biggest dinosaur egg is smaller than a football. You bring babies because they weigh less, they eat less, they sleep a lot more. They're tougher. You know, kids fall down and bounce and get up and keep running. Adults fall down and break or lay there for a while. <laughs> Plus, you bring babies because after the flood, they're going to live longer to produce more offspring, and that's the reason you're bringing them. Why on earth would you bring big elephants on the ark? I mean, that would be stupid for multiple reasons, okay? Why would you bring big giraffes? Just bring babies of everything, young ones. God, and God told him to bring two of every sort. Not two of every species. Two of every sort. He said bring them after his kind, after their kind, after his kind, after his kind. I mean, the Bible's, you know, real clear on the topic. You bring the kinds of animals, not the species. And you only have to bring those in whose nostrils was the breath of life, and only those on dry land. Noah did not have to bring any fish on the ark. They had plenty of water outside, okay? He also did not have to bring any bugs on the ark because bugs don't have nostrils. Bugs breathe through their skin, through spiracles. Insects were not required to be on the ark. Insects can survive a flood just fine. Go any place where there's been a flood, after the water goes down, walk out into the mud and tell me the first thing you notice. Bugs bite a bazillions, right? Yeah, insects did not have to go on there. Some of them might have been on there, but they didn't have to be. Noah did not take 400 pairs of dogs on the ark. Noah probably never saw a chihuahua in his life. Why did somebody do that to the dog? All that special breeding to create a dog that's 100% useless. Noah probably just had a generic dog like my dog, Nikki. We had Nikki for 12 years before I knew what kind of dog it was. A friend of mine came to the house one day and he said, Hoven, you have got a full-blooded canardly. I said, a what? He said, your dog, look at that, that's a canardly. I said, it is? He said, well, look at it, man, you can hardly tell what kind of dog it is. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, full-blooded canardly, yep. 
probably the horse and the zebra had a common ancestor, like this Mexican textbook says. And I would agree, the horse and the zebra had a common ancestor, but it looked like a horse, okay? Four-wheel drive, genuine leather upholstery, I mean, all the horse equipment, okay? Skeptics say, how did Noah fit those millions of animals onto the ark? Well, in the first place, he only brought land animals, okay? Secondly, you bring those with nostrils, no bugs. Uh, thirdly, you bring babies. Now, that's just plain old common sense, right? Fourthly, you bring two of each kind, not every single variety. And since God made the kinds, and God told Noah how big to build the boat, I bet God had it kind of figured out, you know, about what size to make it, you know? Plus, how many were there? Many experts will tell you there are about 8,000 basic kinds of animals in the world. 8,000 basic kinds of animals. Noah had two of each kind. Now, seven of some, I understand. But plenty of room on the ark for that. St. Matthias say, well, Adam could never name all those animals in one day. Oh, come on. When I get excited, I can speak 350 words a minute. At 300 words a minute, you can name all the animals in 26 minutes. Dog, cat, elephant, aardvark, hamster. I mean, come on. It's not a big deal. Plus, you've got to figure, Adam had an extremely high IQ. I mean, he came straight from the hand of God, fully programmed. He could speak every language in the world. Well, there's only one, okay. I mean, the guy could walk, talk, name all the animals, and get married first day. This guy's super high IQ, okay? No problem naming all the animals in a half hour. Okay, what's next, all right? What else you got for me, God? Plus, how big was the ark? I have atheists that I debate all the time. They'll say, well, Noah could never put all those animals on the ark. I say, really? How many were there? They say, well, we don't know. Oh, well, how big was the boat? Well, we don't know. All we know is he couldn't do it. Oh, I see. Is <laughs> that the way this works? Okay. It beats what they believe. They believe 18 or 20 billion years ago, there was a big bang where nothing exploded and made everything. And 4.6 billion years ago, the earth cooled down and formed a rocky crust. Yes, the planet earth cooled and a rocky surface was created. And then as the earth formed, the surface was hot and there were large pools of bubbling lava. This textbook says there was no oxygen on the earth, 0% oxygen, but the rocks absorbed it. So what? I've been trying to figure that one out for four years. But anyway, then oceans formed as it rained on the rocks for millions of years. Millions of years of torrential rains created the oceans. And swirling in the waters of the oceans is a bubbling broth of complex chemicals. Progress from a complex chemical soup to a living organism is very slow. Boy, it sure is. It don't even happen. That's how slow it is. Life on earth may have begun in rocks on the ocean floor. Wow, all came from a rock. The first self-replicating systems must have emerged in this organic soup. So according to their theory, 20 billion years ago there was a big bang. 4.6 billion years ago the earth formed. It was a hot ball of rock. And then it began to rain and rain and rain and rain and rain and rain. And finally the oceans filled in. And in the oceans the first living organisms appeared. So great, 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 grandpa was soup. That's the evolution theory. I didn't make it up. They did. So, you know, you can laugh at them if you like, as far as I'm concerned. But now, they asked me to come speak at this college in Boston one time. This pastor, I was going to speak at the church. I said, brother, call some of the colleges and see if you can have a debate. I love to do debates against these guys in front of their own university. Well, he called every college within 100 miles of Boston. A lot of them. There's a lot of colleges around Boston. And... Finally, one college said, no, we don't want him to come have a debate, but he can come speak to our students if our professors can ask him any questions they would like. Because we would like to show our students how dumb you Christians really are. I said, I would be honored to come for that. <laughs> so I showed up. There were six professors, all their students. I felt like Daniel in the lion's den, you know. 
I got my two timelines out over there, and I said, now, folks, I believe the Bible. Nobody cheered. I said, I believe 6,000 years ago, God made everything, and 4,400 years ago, there was a flood when, you know, everything got destroyed in the, in the flood. And then Noah had two of each kind, not species, kind on the ark. Now, since then, there's been a whole lot of new varieties produced. And then I told them what they believe, because most of them don't know what they believe. You've got to tell them, you know. I said, you guys believe 20 billion years ago, Big Bang, 4.6 billion years ago, the earth cooled down, it rained on the rocks for millions of years, turned them into soup, and the soup came alive 3 billion years ago. This one professor was getting very angry. <clears throat> I seemed to do that to them. <clears throat> he said, Mr. Hoven, do you realize there are nearly 400 varieties of dogs in the world today? I said, sir, I have no idea how many, but 400 sounds good. He said, do you mean to tell me that you believe all those dogs came from two dogs on Noah's Ark? You want me to believe that? I said, sir, uh, would you look at what you're teaching your students? You're teaching your students that all those dogs came from a rock. <laughs> he didn't have any more questions after that. I did a debate one time in university, and afterwards this lady came walking down the aisle. Boy, she was mad. The smoke was coming out of her nose. She was angry at me. She came walking straight up toward me. I said, Lord, I'm coming home. <laughs> she walked up, put her hands on her hips, and she said, Tonight, you told everybody that we believe we come from a rock. We do not believe that. I said, Ma'am, do you believe in evolution? She said, Yes, I do. I'm a professor here at the university. I said, Well, ma'am, would you please tell me then where we came from? She said, we came from a macro molecule. I said, and where did that come from? She said, from the oceans, from the prebiotic soup. I said, and where did that come from? She said, it rained on the rocks for millions of years. You could see it was slowly dawning on her. You know, I do believe I come from a rock. The Bible says the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark. And Noah said to his boys, boys, go for wood. We've got to build a boat. And so they went and got all this wood, and they built this huge boat. Now, after the flood was over, Noah's son had a baby and named him Arphaxad. But don't you think one day little Arphaxad's getting big enough? He's sitting on Grandpa's lap, and he's looking around like kids do. And he says, hey, Grandpa, I have a, I have a question. Uh, how come we're the only people in the whole world? Do you mean we got this whole planet to ourselves? <laughs> what, what happened? And Grandpa's going to tell him the story about the flood. Actually, they're going to talk about that flood for a long time. Can you imagine a worldwide flood? Man, they talk about that for centuries. Actually... Arphaxad's daddy, Shem, Noah's son, lived long enough to tell that story directly to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll never catch that reading your Bible, but when you graph it out, it's like, wow, that's unbelievable. Do you know they're still talking about that flood in many cultures around the world? So far, 270 flood legends have been identified in different countries and cultures around the world. The Hawaiians have a legend that says, Long after the death of Kunihana, the first man, the world became a wicked, terrible place to live. There was one good man left. His name was Nu'u. He made a great canoe with a house on it and filled it with animals. The waters came up over all the earth and killed all the people. Only Nu'u and his family were saved. Huh, one family saved in a boat full of animals. Sounds kind of like the Bible story, doesn't it? The Chinese have a legend called the Hiking Classic 
They say that Fuhai is the father of their civilization. Fuhai is probably Noah. Okay? The story says, Fuhai, his wife, three sons, and three daughters escaped a great flood. He and his family were the only people alive on earth. After the great flood, they repopulated the world. Interesting. Now, the Mexican, the Tolik Indians in Mexico have a very interesting story. They said, the first world lasted 1,716 years and was destroyed by a flood that covered the highest mountains. One family named Cox Cox survived. 1,716 years. Well, the Bible dates add up to uh, 1656 from the creation to the flood. But that's not bad for a legend 4,000 years old. Question, why would there be nearly 300 flood legends? Uh, I think it's because there was a flood. That's my theory. Okay. Probably the Atlantis legend, everybody's searching for the lost continent of Atlantis. Probably it's another flood legend. As far as the folks on the boat were concerned, the whole world sank beneath the waves. Actually, they were going up. The world wasn't going down. I think Atlantis is another flood story. Anyway, if you look at the country of Turkey, at the far right-hand side, you will see a mountain called Mount Ararat. It is 12 miles from the Russian border. Very politically unstable region. On a Turkish map, it's called Noah Ungumshi, which means Noah's big boat. That's the name of the region. They've got signs you drive right up to it. Noah's big boat, this way, five kilometers. The Bible says the ark rested in the seventh month. <clears throat> now that's interesting. Noah did not get out till the 13th month. Why would he stay in there for five and a half extra months after the ark rested? Well, we cover all the reasons why on video number six, the Hoven theory. But the Bible says it rested in the seventh month upon the mountains of Ararat. Mountains, plural. The Bible does not say the ark landed on Mount Ararat. Read it carefully. It does not say that. It says it landed in the mountains of Ararat. Actually, there are four theories about what happened to Noah's ark. Okay? One theory says they took it apart and used the lumber for buildings. Second theory says it rotted. The third theory says it's still on the mountain. And the fourth theory says it's in the valley. And the guys who think it's on the mountain go over there every couple of years on a big expedition. They climb the mountain. They all come back and say, you know, we almost found it. I'm not sure how you can know you almost found something. But anyway, that's what they say. And maybe, maybe it's there. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me at all. Okay. But other folks think, hey, guys, it's not even on that mountain. It's not in the valley 17 miles away. And they think that is Noah's Ark right there, that boat-shaped object, kind of a teardrop shape. In 1960, this was discovered by high-altitude surveillance plane. In 1978, there was an earthquake, and either it lifted up or the ground dropped down. I don't know. The result's the same. It is now sticking up out of the ground about 18, 20 feet. Hmm. Ron Wyatt died in 99. He was a good friend of mine. He and many others have spent years studying this thing, but they think it's Noah's Ark. And like I said, honestly, I don't know and I don't care. I don't, it doesn't matter to me where it is. And some Christians and creationists get all upset with anybody that mentions there might be another theory besides theirs. Look, my, my approach to any subject if, is if there's more than one option, tell everybody all the options and say, here's the various theories on this. Here's why I believe this one, but go ahead and research yourself. I think you ought to look at all the options. Um, Richard Reeves took over for Ron. There he is in front of his uh, model of Noah's Ark that he built. But according to them, the Ark has collapsed. Obviously, a boat that old would, you know, cave in and fold out to the side. It's splayed. And so one of the arguments the skeptics use is, well, it's too wide to be Noah's Ark. Well, of course it's too wide. Boats all do that. They fall outwards. You can go to any old rotten boat someplace, you'll see the same effect. But radar scans show that there are deck timbers, some kind of huge timbers in there. Apparently, some kind of big structure. They find iron rivets in there. The Ark was bolted together. They knew about iron back then. Not a problem. You can see some of the rivets at the Wyatt Museum south of Nashville, Tennessee. 
It used a laminated wood, three layers of wood glued together with a tar-like substance, pitch made from tree sap. And apparently it's like basic plywood, okay? Huge, thick layers of wood. And there's no grain in the wood. Interesting, it's almost like the trees didn't have growing seasons, the wood they were using. Anyway, the Wyatt Museum is a converted gas station just south of Nashville at exit 27 on the northwest corner. You can stop down there and see him. Mrs. Wyatt wrote a book called The Boat-Shaped Object on Doomsday Mountain with all the research she and her husband had done on that. Apparently, the ark landed close to Mount Ararat, got stuck in the mud. Everybody got off and left, and at some time later, there was a mud flow or, and or a lava flow that pushed the ark down and broke the bottom off. What used to be the, the keel full of uh, ballast for weight to keep it upright was broken off, and it's way up near the mountain, and the ark has apparently moved down several miles from where it used to be. It used to be way over here at the left at a little village called Kazan, which in Turkish means village of eight. Village of eight. Now, wait a minute. There was eight people on that boat. But apparently the ark has drifted down from where it used to be, and that's another long story. But the government of Turkey has studied all this, and they say, yep, that's Noah's ark. They even built a visitor center. Now, some folks have said, oh, it's not Noah's Ark, it's a boat-shaped object, it's just a, it's just a flow stone. It's, it's flow formation around a stationary object. When mud flows around something, it makes that teardrop shape, like an airplane wing. Yes, I understand, it does, you're right. But the pointed end of the teardrop is always downstream. The rounded end is upstream, like an airplane wing. This one's backwards. There are flow formations in that area, no question. But this is not one of them. One guy argued, it's just a fort. Who would build a fort under a hill? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> the guys throw rocks down inside, you know. Anyway, some creationists say it's not Noah's Ark, and they get mad at me for even mentioning Well, I'm sorry, I'm going to mention it until I start working for you, and then I'll quit, okay? But uh, the Bible says the Ark will be 300 cubits long. Now, a cubit is elbow to fingertip. I'm six foot one. My cubit is 21 inches. The average standard Egyptian cubit was 20.65, just a hair shorter than mine. That boat-shaped object is uh, 515 feet long, which is 300 Egyptian cubits. So that doesn't prove it's the Ark, but it is interesting. It is the right size, okay? It's about two-thirds the size of the Titanic, about two football fields long. Pretty good-sized boat. In that region, near the village of Kazan, they found 12 giant rocks that weigh 9,000 pounds. These rocks appear at Kazan, 9,000 pound rocks, and they have holes in the top. Apparently, this rock was to be held over the side of the boat to be what's called an anchor stone or a drogue stone. And the hole in the top of the rock is curved. I have drilled a lot of holes in my life. I've done a lot of building construction. I don't know how you would drill a curved hole through a rock. But there they are. When the Sea of Galilee dried up quite a bit here 10 years ago, it exposed all kinds of beach that had never been exposed in centuries. And all around there, they found hundreds of small rocks with holes in them. It's a common practice in stormy areas like that to put rocks around the side of the boat to keep the boat stabilized. Give it some weight. If it gets windy, you drop them down into the water, and you now have a sea anchor all the way around the boat. But anyway, there are a lot of folks who think these rocks were actually drogue stones or sea anchors for Noah's Ark. What this would do... This would make the boat stable during stormy weather. It's almost like your anchor to the water, if you can imagine that. And if it really gets windy, the rocks are going to drag behind you, and now you're always perpendicular to the waves. You can't capsize. Hmm. One atheist wrote me a letter, and he said, Hoven, 
I heard your seminar about Noah's Ark having big rocks hanging over the side. You are so stupid. Don't you know if he had rocks hanging all over the boat, it would slow him down? I wrote back, where was he going? <laughs> there is no place to go, okay? The whole world's underwater, okay? He's just trying to float. You see, Noah, the instructions are real simple. Get in, sit down, float, land, get out, okay? <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere. No sails. You don't have to steer the boat, okay? One atheist said, well, a sailboat was built with six masts and it, it leaked so bad because of the twisting from the sails. Well, Noah's Ark didn't have any sails, okay? It just was designed to float. And some people think it might have had a moon pool in the center because a long ship has trouble going over the waves. It tends to lift up and the ends are exposed and it tends to flex or break in the middle. Well, if Noah's Ark had a moon pool, that would solve the problem. What it is, it's a hole in the center. As the waves go up and down, the water goes up and down inside that hole. Of course, you've got a wall built up on the inside. It's called a moon pool. As the water goes up and down inside that moon pool, going over the waves, it acts like a giant piston, forcing fresh air in and out of the boat every time you hit a wave. You might actually pray for a good wave once in a while. Hey, Lord, we're about to feed the elephants. Would you please send a wave? Yeah. Anyway, what happened to the dinosaurs when Noah got off the ark? You know, the question of what happened to the dinosaurs has been used in schools to start a conversation about evolution for a long time. One of Satan's favorite tools to use is dinosaurs because kids love them. I spoke at a public school one time to 300 first graders. Try that sometime. I drove a church bus for 17 years and taught junior church for 17 years. And, um, there were 300 first graders in this room I'm speaking and I got my dinosaurs out and I said, boys and girls, I got a question for you. When did dinosaurs live? I mean, Instantly, all of them shouted out, millions of years ago. I thought, now wait a minute. These kids are in first grade, okay? They can barely read. How do they believe that already? Where have the Christians been teaching the truth about creation? Why are we waiting until the kids get their mind polluted with evolution and then trying to win them back? Why don't we just not lose them to begin with? Why hasn't there been a Christian response to this dinosaur stuff? Where, what the Christians did in the 1800s is they compromised their Bible with the gap theory to accommodate the dinosaurs, and then they let Satan have the dinosaurs. That's what happened, exactly. But anyway, there are 16 theories of what happened to the dinosaurs. One theory says an asteroid struck the Yucatan Peninsula in you know, Mexico and killed them 65 million years ago. A scientist here in Indiana said, the dinosaurs killed themselves off with their own flatulence. They could not stand the heat. I'm not sure what to do about a theory like that, but here's the real reason they went extinct. Mm, smoking. Yeah. Anyway, what, what made the dinosaurs go extinct? Do you realize they're asking the wrong question? The question is not what made them go extinct. The question is, did they go extinct? See, the liberals are always real good at getting us to argue about the wrong subject. They're always asking me, should we have creation taught in public schools? I say, that's a good question, and I would be glad to discuss that. However, there's another question we should ask first, okay? The real question is, should we have public schools? Mm -hmm. Let's argue that one for a while first, okay? And if we're going to have them, then we'll discuss what should be taught in them and who decides what is taught in them. I mean, does Bill Clinton decide what's taught, or does Osama bin Laden decide what's taught, or maybe you should decide, maybe I should decide. See, the whole problem is, some people have this idiot idea that children belong to the state. 
No, no, no. You see, children belong to God, and they are entrusted to parents. And the parents should decide what God wants them to be taught. The state does not ever have any children. It is sterile, okay? It can't have children. Okay, so they want to steal yours. That's another long, interesting story. But anyway, the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution says the federal government only has certain very limited powers, and anything else is left to the states. The federal government has no business being involved in education or welfare or hurricane relief or anything else. No business at all. If you want to see why the schools went public, get this many good articles, one by Samuel Blumenfeld that's incredible about why we have a public school system. It's all part of the plan for a new world order. Big part of the plan. Get our college class, CSE 102. I teach college classes on creation where we go into much more detail, you know, chase every rabbit and kick every dog, and you can get that if you get time. But anyway, dinosaurs getting off the ark had a very difficult time. The climate had changed. Things were different. Remember, before the flood, they lived to be 900. Read your Bible. After the flood, they only lived to be 400, and then 200, and then 100. Something changed. Well, for one thing, that canopy overhead was gone. Number two, the soil was now not loaded with minerals like it's supposed to be to have plants grow like crazy. And the atmospheric pressure was different. The canopy had collapsed. It was gone, I believe. Sunlight was now getting through, radiation, etc. Uh, many more problems in the post-flood environment. Dinosaurs had two problems. Number one, the climate change. Number two, was probably worse, people hunted them. They killed them. Now, they didn't call them dinosaur, though. They called them dragon. See, the word dinosaur wasn't made up till 1841. So for most of human history, these creatures are called dragons. Did you know dinosaurs not even in the dictionary in 1891? For most of human history, they were known as dragons. Now, dragons are mentioned in the Bible 34 times. People say, why aren't dinosaurs in the Bible? Last night, I'm talking to this lady at the counter at the hotel. She said, well, dinosaurs aren't in the Bible. I said, that's correct. That word wasn't made up till 1841. And if you got the right Bible, that was translated 1611. So, of course, you're not going to find that word in there. Uh, duh. But they called them dragons. Dragons are listed in the dictionary in 1946 as now rare. <laughs> hmm. As the population of people began to grow after the flood, the population of dragons began to go down. Because nobody wants to live next door to a dragon. <laughs> Same thing happened in Cobb County, Georgia, where Atlanta is today. Do you realize how many grizzly bears there are roaming around the woods right now near Atlanta, Georgia? Zero. Do you know how many there were just 300 years ago? Hundreds. What happened to the grizzly bears in Cobb County, Georgia? Well, as people move in and civilize an area, the big ferocious animals are killed off or driven off. Happens everywhere. If it came on the evening news tonight that there were five grizzly bears roaming around Cobb County, do you know what would happen by 6 o'clock in the morning? They'd all be dead. Because every redneck in four states would be out there with a rifle trying to shoot one. Right? And whoever could shoot the biggest one would be a hero. They'd have his picture on the front page. Hey, Bubba shot the grizzly bear and saved the village. Yeah, he did. Well, that's exactly what happened to the dragons. Man, if you could figure out a way to kill a dragon, they'd be telling stories about you around the campfire from now on. People kill dragons for meat because they were a menace to prove you're a hero, to prove you're superior, competition for land, or for medicinal purposes. Many ancient recipes call for dragon blood, dragon bones, dragon saliva. Why? Gilgamesh is famous for slaying a dragon. 
A Chinese legend tells about a guy named Yu that surveyed the land of China. It says, after the flood, he surveyed the land and divided it into sections. He built channels to drain the water off to the sea and make the land livable again. Many snakes and dragons were driven from the marshlands. Yeah, that's just normal. If you want to build a city, you got to, you know, drive off the dragons and then build your city. I mean, it was expected. You got to drive the dragons off. Okay. Why would the Chinese calendar have 11 real animals, you know, the pig, the duck, the dog, and a dragon? Why would they put a mythical animal in there? Could it be that at the time they came up with these 12 symbols, there were 12 real animals? Hmm? Here's one of the oldest pieces of pottery on planet Earth. It's a piece of slate from Egypt, first dynasty of United Egypt. It shows long-necked dragons. We make replicas of it if you want to get one for a prize for your bus route, for some give out to the kid who does whatever, you know. You, they'll go crazy over this thing. Half-size replicas of the oldest pieces of pot, piece of pottery on Earth. Why would they put long-necked dinosaurs on pottery 3,800 years ago? Hmm. Here's two long-necked dinosaurs with a sheep in between their mouths. Here's a hippo tusk from the 12th century BC showing an animal with a long neck and a long tail. Here's a cylinder seal showing what appears to quite obviously be long necked dinosaurs. The Bible talks about a fiery flying serpent in Isaiah 14. Wait a minute, a fiery flying serpent? Well, if you read the story of Herodotus, Herodotus says he went to a certain place in Arabia, almost exactly opposite Buto, to make inquiries concerning the winged serpents. On my arrival, I saw the backbones and ribs of serpents in such numbers as it's impossible to describe. The winged serpent is shaped like the water snake. Its wings are not feathered, but resemble very closely those of the bat. The people where the bones lie at the entrance of a narrow gorge between steep mountains. The story goes that with the spring, the winged snakes come flying from Arabia towards Egypt, but are met in this gorge by the bird called Ibises, who forbid their entrance and destroy them all. The book of Josephus talks about the fiery flying serpent that Moses came, had to kill when he came to the land of Ethiopia. And he ended up marrying the princess of the Ethiopians, and which is why his sister got mad at him later for marrying an Ethiopian. Not because she was black necessarily, but because of how this all happened. You read the story in Josephus' book. Anyway, in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, it talks about in 793 A.D. about the fiery dragons flying across the firmament. The Babylonian god Marduk has shown pictured on a fire-breathing dragon. You say, Brother Hovind, now you don't believe in fire-breathing dragons, do you? Yeah, I believe there were some. We cover all that in our videotape about Leviathan, but Job chapter 41 talks about Leviathan. It says, out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils go a smoke. You know, I've seen deacons do that at Southern Baptist churches. Okay, so that's no big deal. But... Uh, <laughs> His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. Now, wait, wait, wait. Was there really a fire-breathing dragon? Well, you better watch the Leviathan video about the fire-breathing dragon. But if you get a Catholic Bible, you find the book of Daniel has two extra chapters in it. It's part of the Apocrypha books, okay? Daniel 13 and 14. Very interesting reading. Definitely not Scripture, okay? But in Daniel 14, it says, There was a great dragon in the place, and the Babylonians worshipped him. And the king said to Daniel, Behold, thou canst not say now that this is not a living God. Adore him therefore. And Daniel said, I adore the Lord my God, for he is the living God, but that is no living God. But give me leave, that's permission, you military guys know about leave, okay? And I will kill this dragon without sword or club. And the king said, I give thee leave. 
Then Daniel took pitch and fat and hair and boiled them together and made lumps and put them into the dragon's mouth and the dragon burst asunder. What a strange story. Let me give you the Hoven translation. Okay? The Bible tells us that Daniel was a man who understood science. Those are the kind that Nebuchadnezzar took away at that time. Okay? And Daniel would have known full well that pitch is made from tree sap and it's very sticky. Fat is salty tasting. And almost all animals like things that are salty tasting. And hair won't digest. So he made little lumps of pitch, fat, and hair, tossed them in. The dragon loved them, swallowed them, couldn't digest them. And they plugged up his intestinal tract. And these were the days before Roto-Rooter, and so he burst asunder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you figure it out. Okay, anyway. Saddam bin Sain, Hussein, has quite an ego problem. He thinks he is Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. George Bush always called him Saddam Hussein. I wondered, why does he call him Saddam? His name is Saddam. Well, Saddam means prince. Saddam means horse's rear end. <laughs> so he called him Saddam Hussein. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Saddam issued currency with his picture in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Saddam spent a fortune rebuilding the ancient city of Babylon. Did you know ancient Babylon was discovered, buried in the dry sand over there. The bricks were just nearly perfectly preserved by the dry sand. So they excavated ancient Babylon and rebuilt it. Babylon was totally rebuilt in the last 20 or 30 years, I believe. Saddam put a brick about every 10 feet around the wall that says, I am Saddam Hussein. I have rebuilt Babylon the Great. I am the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. But on that wall, they found carvings of lions and carvings of dragons. Now, I can understand why they'd put a lion on there. I mean, we know about lions. But why would they put carvings of dragons on a brick wall 2,600 years ago? Uh, maybe because they knew about uh, dragons? They're still there. You can go see them. A friend of mine was there as a soldier. He said, yep, they're still here. Dragons still on the wall from 2,600 years ago. Ishtar Gate is covered in them. Lions and dragons. Hmm. Now, we made a model of it for Dinosaur Adventure Land. If you want to come to Pensacola, that's a little closer to Iraq for most of you. But Alexander the Great said his soldiers were scared by dragons when they conquered part of India in 300 B.C. This Roman mosaic shows two long-necked dragons fighting. Or kissing. Now that would be necking. Wow. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> how, did, how did the Romans know about dragons in 200 A.D.? St. George is famous for slaying a dragon in 275 A.D. Beowulf slew two dragons and the third one killed him. But anyway, when they translate the story to modern English, the story tells us Beowulf killed Grendel the dragon by pulling off one of its arms and the creature bled to death. Pulled off his arm... Well, they found a Babylonian cylinder seal showing a guy pulling the arm off a dragon. Interesting. Get the book After the Flood if you want a whole lot more on dragons living with man. But there's a city in France that's famous because a dragon came up out of the water and a guy killed it and cut the head off and stuck it over the corner of the building. The head of the dragon was mounted on his building. They called it the gargoyle. How many of you have ever heard of the gargoyle? They still do that today. You can buy these ugly little critters. You put them on your building or whatever over your door. Well, the word gargoyle means throat. We get our word gargle, gurgle, regurgitate, gorge, and glutton from that word. It has to do with the throat. So next time you gargle, you can think about slaying a dragon. You say, Brother Hovind, I am slaying a dragon when I gargle. Okay, anyway. An Irish writer said they killed a dragon with iron nails on its tail. Well, Stegosaurus certainly had big spikes on his tail, that's for sure. So did several other animals, but 
There's a Viking woodcut showing a dragon swallowing a guy. This is from the 11th century, a thousand years ago, okay? The Vikings put dragon heads on their ships a thousand years ago. Why would they do that? Well, they knew about the great dragon of the sea. They called it the Kraken. Again, Bill Cooper's got a lot on that in his book, but the uh, famous Nor uh, Icelandic hero Siegfried slew the dragon Fafnir. There's a castle, bricks were found in a castle from the 12th century showing dragons. There's a 12th century castle in Germany with dragons on it. Why would they put dragons on their castles? Marco Polo lived in China for 17 years. When he came back, he said, the emperor is raising dragons to pull chariots in his parades. Why would he say that? Oh, probably because the emperor was raising dragons to pull chariots in his parades. Mm -hmm. That's my theory. Yeah, okay. In 1611, they appointed the post of royal dragon feeder. Why do you need a royal dragon feeder? Uh, let me guess, uh, to feed the dragon. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, right, okay. There's a 13th century castle with dragons on it. There's a gray from the 15th century showing, and carved in brass, two long-necked dinosaurs. 16th century castle has dragons on it. We've got seven coins in our museum on loan. They're silver dollars from 1500s to 1600s, real silver dollars. All of them show somebody slaying a dragon. It was common 400 years ago. Everybody knew about slaying dragons. Of course, you've got to slay the dragon. You know, that's just standard procedure. Save the dragon, rescue the princess, or whatever. I don't know. But here's a Russian medallion showing a guy killing a dragon. Bulgarian postage stamp has somebody killing a dragon. The crest of Lithuania shows somebody killing a dragon. A city in France was renamed Nurluk to honor the man who slew the dragon. Indians carved dinosaurs on the walls of the Grand Canyon. Why would they put dinosaurs on the walls of Grand Canyon? Maybe because they hunted dinosaurs around there. Mm -hmm. In 1925, some guys took a raft trip down one of the canyons out west, and they wrote a report. They saw one of these dinosaurs, and they said the fact that some prehistoric man <clears throat> made a pictograph of a dinosaur on the walls of this canyon upsets completely all of our theories. Oh, they upset his theories. Oh, no. Huh. He said, about a year ago, a photograph of a dinosaur was shown to a scientist of national repute who was then specializing in dinosaurs. He said, it's not a dinosaur, it's impossible. Because we know dinosaurs were extinct 12 million years before man appeared on earth. <laughs> Hold on just a minute, okay. First place, it's not possible for you to know what happened 12 million years ago, okay. So let's just get that straight first up, okay. Secondly, notice he said 12 million. Now today the kids are taught dinosaurs died 65 million years ago, aren't they? 65 million years ago? It's interesting to see the inflation of the age of the earth. See, in 1770, <clears throat> they said the earth was 70,000 years old. By 1902, it was 2 billion years old. 1969, it was 3.5 billion years old. Today, it's 4.6. Did you know the earth is getting older at the rate of 21 million years per year? <laughs> That's 40 years per minute. Okay, it's aging rapidly, folks. Anyway. If you go to Blanding, Utah, you'll see carvings of dinosaurs on the cliff there. Apparently, they knew about dinosaurs in Utah. The Indians knew about them. They killed them, apparently. This is a cave painting in Australia showing a guy running away from what appears to be a dinosaur. I can't pronounce the name of this place in Canada, Mishap something or other here, but it looks like these Indians have painted something on the cliff there that appears to be like a dinosaur with a dermal frill ridged on its back. This is a painting from Australia. These guys are all dancing around what quite obviously looks like a dinosaur. Apparently, they're upset because it ate their friend. Okay, there's the friend inside. You know, give him back, please, right now. Anyway, um, 
This guy says nobody's ever seen a dinosaur. Well, why did they put them on their cave paintings? Why did they put them on ancient pottery? Why, did, why do we see so many legends of dragons if nobody's ever seen one? Down in Peru, they've got the driest desert in the world. It's only rained twice in 400 years, is my understanding. When the Spanish came across there in 1500s, they found white lines on the desert. They were obviously man-made. Somebody piled up the rocks. There's a pile of white rocks that goes sometimes for miles, straight as an arrow. These are today are called the Nazca lines. How many of you ever heard of the Nazca images? They got all these images down there and down in Peru. You can study that if you'd like. But strange, these images are interesting. But one of them shows a spider which has no eyes and one leg is longer than the rest. And for centuries, everybody thought, well, these were poor, ignorant, stupid people. You know, they forgot to put the eyes on and they made the one leg longer by an accident. Recently, there was a spider discovered in the Amazon jungle a thousand miles away. It only lives in caves. It is extremely rare. It's supposed to be one of the rarest spiders on earth. It's an eighth of an inch long, little tiny spider, lives a thousand miles away in the dark, in the caves. The spider has no eyes. And during mating season, that one particular leg grows longer and it exchanges DNA off the tip of that leg for 15 seconds. How did they know that in Peru, a thousand miles away? Maybe they weren't so stupid after all. Hmm? Anyway, in 1535, the Spanish conquistadors came through that area and they found stones with strange animals on them. They sent some back to the king of Spain and said, what on earth are these animals carved on these rocks? The king said, I have no clue. Today they're called the Ica burial stones from Ica, Peru. Dennis Swift is probably the world's expert on those. He's one of my good friends from Portland, Oregon. He did a great session at our boot camp in 95, I mean in 2005, our creation boot camp we have in Pensacola, Florida. And we've got his DVDs about him speaking on the Ica stones. Oh, it's incredible. You can still get those on our website. But these stones show dinosaurs on them. The Nazca burial stones from about the time of Christ, plus or minus a few hundred years. Some of them show brain surgery. They find brain surgery instruments, hardened copper, tempered copper instruments for cutting into people's heads, apparently. They, some of them show heart uh, surgery, limb reattachment, steam engine. One of them showed what looks like a steam engine. Strange things are found on these Ica stones in Peru, but quite a few of them, over 500, I believe, show dinosaurs. Why would they have dinosaurs and humans on the same stones? Well, because people lived with uh, dinosaurs. Anyway, there's plenty on that. There's one from our museum. shows a dinosaur holding a guy by the head. This one we've got shows what appears to be a guy cutting the head off the dragon because the dragon killed his friend. You can see the friend's body is inside, but his head's missing. So his buddy's just doing what the Bible says. You know, vengeance is fine, saith the Lord. Or something like that. But this guy's jabbing one through the throat with a spear. This one's hard to see, but he's shoving the spear down the dragon's throat. This one, the dragon's got the guy by the arm, and apparently his spirit is leaving. He's flying off into heaven or wherever they go when they die in their culture, you know. This guy's got the knife stuck in the dragon's head, and the dragon's biting the guy. We've got eight of these stones in Pensacola, Florida. It's the largest collection in America, I believe, at $1,500 each. You know, not too many people have these things, but some of them show circles on the side. Now, that's kind of interesting. Why would they put circles on the side of the dinosaurs? Well, nobody ever found dinosaur skin until about 20 years ago when fossilized dinosaur skin was found. It's very interesting, the dinosaur skin has circle patterns on it. They had to see a live one to know to put that on the stones, because you couldn't tell that from the bones. 
We've got some dinosaur skin in our museum in Pensacola. Recently, they just found uh, uh, unfossilized soft dinosaur tissue. Soft dinosaur tissue? So now the brilliant scientists are trying to figure out how could tissue stay soft for 70 million years? The thought will never cross their brain to question that maybe it's not 70 million years old. I mean, that thought will never enter their head, okay? This guy's cutting the head off a dragon. There's a guy riding one. We've got a ton of information on dinosaurs living with man. Sometimes they're in friendly gestures, like this one's petting him. He's got his head laying on his shoulder, okay? Pottery was found with dinosaurs on it. A mummy was found in a tomb wrapped in a blanket, and all around the blanket were dinosaurs. Why would they put dinosaurs on their blankets? Why would they put them on their pottery? Why would they carve them on cliff walls? Why would they put them on their waistbands? In Acumbaro, Mexico, 56,000 ceramic figurines of dinosaurs were found. They knew about them in central Mexico. They have always lived with man. They did not live millions of years ago. But everybody today is saying dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. Nobody's ever seen one. Yeah, I think they have, okay. An Italian peasant killed a dragon that was bothering his cows. They had it stuffed and mounted for a museum display in 1572. By the way, you know why so many Italians are named Tony? Years ago, they were shipping them to America, and they stamped on their forehead, to New York. Hmm? Just a little bit of trivia there. But the Sutton artifact appears to show what it looks like a uh, pterodactyl with its wings folded up. This lady sent me this picture of the dragon found in uh, Utah. Said, Brother Hovind, looks like a dinosaur to me carved on the cliff up here. Roman artifacts were found in Tucson, Arizona. By the way, the Romans came across the ocean way before Columbus did. Columbus was not the first white man across the ocean. There was trade back and forth for centuries until the you know, Catholic Church kind of had the Dark Ages come in and shut down knowledge and information. But Brenda the Navigator came across in 500 A.D. Roman coins or Hebrew coins were found in Ohio in a burial mound. There was trade back and forth at the time of Christ across the ocean. But in a Las Lunas uh, Decalogue stone here found in New Mexico, there's an 80-ton stone showing the Ten Commandments in Byzantine, which was only used about 500 A.D. is my understanding. Somebody came across, tried to evangelize America, made it as far as New Mexico 1,500 years ago. But one of these Roman swords shows what quite obviously appears to be a dinosaur on it. How on earth could they get dinosaurs on their, stone, on their swords? At the time of the Roman Empire? During the age of sailing ships, there are thousands of legends of people sighting sea monsters. Well, if you're in a sailboat, it's kind of quiet going through the water, okay? With a, today with a diesel engine, they can hear you coming 50 miles away underwater. Of course, you're not going to see one, all right? But there are legends all over of dra dragons living with man. I think we've really been lied to. We could spend a long time on dragon legends. I read prolifically on that topic about dragon sightings down through history. Just get our video number three if you want more on dragon legends. Did you know there are actually stories of giant octopus living in the ocean? I mean like really, really, really big octopus. One octopus washed up on the beach in Florida. It was 200 feet across and weighed five tons. That's a big octopus. A whale was killed near Seattle. Inside the whale's stomach was one arm to an octopus that was 150 feet long. Whales love to eat octopus. And if a whale eats too much octopus, he'll get sick and puke it back up. And if you ever see a piece of puked up octopus floating around in the ocean, be sure to grab it. It's worth a fortune. Does anybody know what they make out of puked up octopus? Perfume. That is correct. That explains a few things, doesn't it, fellas? 
Hey, dear, you smell like a puked-up octopus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can sleep on the couch for a month, too. Yeah. There are giant squids found out there in the ocean. I mean, really big squids. We could spend a long time about that one. A giant squid washed up on the beach in New Zealand. They said it was a baby. Full-grown, it would have been 150 feet long. People say, no, wait, 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 Hoven. If there are dinosaurs mentioned all through history, are dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Dinosaurs in the Bible? Yeah, we're going to cover that in the next session. Dinosaurs not only mentioned in the Bible, some dinosaurs might still be alive. We'll cover that in a minute. Okay, and there you have it. That concludes the first part of Dr. Hovid's creation science seminar on dinosaurs in the Bible. So come on back to the channel and listen again because we are going to put up the second part of that um, seminar. It's really good in my opinion. I think you're going to like it. Like I said, cryptozoology is uh, one of my favorite things to listen to. So come on back, listen to it. If you have any comments, questions, anything like that, email us. Um, so please like and share. Uh, thanks for listening and God bless you.